Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights for making money in food. The Edible Alpha podcast is hosted by the Food Finance Institute, where our mission is to help food businesses raise the money they need to grow. Through our podcast, FFI staff talks to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food or farm business. Hello, folks. This is Andy Larson. I'm the farm outreach guy with the Food Finance Institute, and I have the privilege today of interviewing Mark Dudla of Dudla Farms Organics from Southern Wisconsin. Uh, I was very, very lucky to work with Mark and his wife, Lucy, very early in my tenure with FFI. And right away, I was impressed with the quality and the diversity of the products they had on offer. Uh, ancient grains, culinary beans, small grains and flour, even sunflower seeds. So un stuff that you don't often find in our neck of the world. So Mark, can you give us a little bit more of an introduction about the history and trajectory of your farm and how you got to the diversified system that you operate today? Oh, sure. Great. And thank you for having me on. Uh, it's, a, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to speak uh, to FFI. Um, we're a currently a 1,625-acre organic uh, farm, but uh, we certainly didn't start out that way. So uh, to back up, um, I got uh, the farming bug, um, if you will, from my father, Earl Dudla. And uh, anyways, uh, he, uh, we had more of a conventional farm, uh, more of a chemical farm at that time. And in uh, 2008, uh, he got diagnosed with mantle cell lymphoma. So mm. I was still uh, beating my hands on my chest, uh, proud to be feeding the world, but didn't really realize at that point in time at what cost. Mm. And so uh, in 2008, we transitioned uh, 40 acres, um, you know, in his honor um, and to see if we could do it a different way. We learned many things. Um you know, in the three years, three short years that we had him until uh, 2011, uh, when we lost my dad, learned a lot of things from the various doctors about uh, what we thought was safe mm. in our food supply and was safe to be around. Um, and uh, we were very fortunate to have a really a good understanding of some of the problems with conventional agriculture. So we completely switched uh, and started transitioning in 2008, that 40 acres, yeah. um, and eventually transitioned, uh, you know, all of it, um, actually a little more, 1,800 and some acres. Wow. Um, but uh, it, it was uh, quite a change. Uh, it's not like I could reach back to my great-grandfather and ask him how he farmed or <laughs> right. why they did the rotations they did or what the different crops were and, and what worked and what, what didn't. Um, but we had uh, from conventional agriculture, a pretty decent understanding of the latest technologies uh, in terms of real uh, RTK and, and tractor uh, guidance. Um, Real-time kinetics uh, is what RTK stands for. And it mm -hmm. allows the farmer to come back with a big, huge tractor sub inch the pre the next year. Um, wow. So that's really important when we come to cultivating and those things. So, so we're not uh, actually our grandfather's farm, 
uh, at all. We're applying the latest and greatest technology that we hope is safe uh, to organic agriculture. Um, and uh, there's many new things, uh, you know, the crimp cereal rye system for organic soybeans uh, is one of them that holds a, a fair amount of promise. Okay. Um, but uh, so, so basically, um, we completely changed. And now I guess we're close to offering 15 different things. We have uh, nine different dry beans, uh, Pintos Blacks, Dark Red Kidneys, Cranberries, Great Northerns, Navies, uh, Small Reds, uh, Pinks, and Yellows, I think. Well done. Um, so those are all dry, dry beans that we do. And then um, we have uh, a pilot project, too, that we're kind of working with on a low number of acres of Indian dent uh, corn teased out into colors. Uh, so red, white, blue, and yellow. Um, of those specialty corns. And then uh, we've added uh, white and yellow popcorn in 21, and we've added sunflowers as well. And these are uh, one, ones that get dehulled de and then roasted and salted. In addition to that, we have uh, a milling, milling operation that we do too uh, in conjunction with Graham Adset Rooster Milling. Okay. He's our miller. He's out in East Troy and does a fantastic job. And so anyways, our wheat and our, our corn is milled there. Our buckwheat is milled there and our rye is milled there as well. So we have a flower, flower line as well. Um, in addition to, you know, the dry beans and then the seeds, which I'll refer to as popcorn and sunflowers. Okay. So that's uh, currently where we're at, and that is a long cry from the corn and wheat rotation we were locked into for the past, oh, four or five decades. Mm. Yeah, just to be abundantly clear so, uh, to our, our listeners, that's a, it's a very, um, it's a substantial departure. Um, we generally have uh, conventional number two yellow dent corn, soybeans. Uh, occasionally winter wheat and alfalfa, sometimes mixed in that rotation. So to have 15 products is a a major jump in the the diversity of the rotation. I still have a couple pieces of hair left, so that's good. But uh, <laughs> uh, significant challenges um, with that the, the diversity of inventory, uh, grain spend, grain bin space. Uh, you know, carts, semis, uh, a cleaner, uh, all of that, and then the coordination, and then, of course, a large enough warehouse, you know, to store it all. I mean, you know, grain bins look pretty, pretty, pretty small uh, until you take that same amount of bushels in a grain bin, put it in super sacks, and put it in a warehouse. Right. And you real quickly re realize how efficient that storage is, right? compared to going in a, in a warehouse in a 2,200-pound poly tote on top of a pallet. Right, right. And, and you're doing this kind of repackaging and warehousing and storing, uh, if I'm correct. It's because all of these things that you're producing are for the human food system as opposed to the sort of 
commodity feedstuff system. So um, it requires a uh, pretty substantial new uh, independent knowledge generated <laughs> about the uh, a whole new system to get it from the producer to the consumer. The conventional uh, commodity elevators and things like that are not going to service you well, correct? I believe um, that you have a more complex process for your products to go from field to market. Can you talk a little bit more about that process, Mark? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, just uh, talking about uh, the difference between, you know, conventional and where we are organically, there's just so many, so many additional options and choices once you go to the to the food grade side of the equation, um, it's uh, it's uh, takes takes a lot more legwork, uh, cleaning, identity preservation, and everything all the way through uh, rotation planning. That's all very very important. But we didn't see a future in conventional ag, and it is questionable um what the future is in organic agriculture uh mm. certainly much more bright than conventional ag um but uh has its own set of challenges and is rapidly um mirroring up at times with conventional agriculture and and big food which is kind of concerning so is it yet just another race to the bottom um, and so we decided that um, if, if we couldn't sell it directly to a end user, a consumer, mm -hmm. um, that should we be growing it? Should we be producing it? And um, I guess, uh, so, so when at all possible, we want to find end use crops and uh, to the consumer and to be able to market directly to the consumer as we can. And uh, it's just been a great experience at Food Finance Institute um, learning uh, about everything. It's, it's overwhelming when you continually drink from a fire hose of knowledge, <laughs> whether it's Brad or yourself or, you know, uh, the many, many instructors that have been part of this. Is just really, really great. But and, you stay um, well hydrated. It's really been, <laughs> yeah, extremely, yeah. Now and then, oxygen's a good thing. Yeah. So, so um, you know, but but uh, it, it's really it's really all very very important, right? In in how you do this, and and uh, so we've been learning a lot and. Uh, getting your own brand and how to do that and how to lay it out and how important the graphics is are and and you know how you come across you literally have five to eight seconds with an average consumer yeah and if and if they can't scan your package and look at it and know who you are you failed so uh, there's a lot to understand with that and of course there's a lot of education we we spent what twenty million dollars educating people about what the organic seal meant, mm. and so I think that 
you know, when we start talking biodynamic farming practices, when we start talking regenerative organic agriculture, there's more of a learning curve that needs to happen to the end consumer. And that's why we've partnered with Moms Across America. Uh, Zen Honeycut has a fabulous organization. If you can check it out sometime, it'd be great. Uh, We give 1% of our retail sales to Moms Across America. Cool. Because moms still buy 85% of the groceries. So if we can educate moms on the importance and the pitfalls with our conventional food system, uh, we can change their health and we can change the outcome. And if, if through their buying habits, you know, through the purse, through the wallet, however you want to talk about it, can change food overnight by just what they decide to purchase and more importantly, what they decide not to purchase. Mm -hmm. So they still have a huge impact on our landscape, the end consumer. So that's why we want to educate as much as we can to be able to change, change the landscape and, you know, really, really change the world. I mean, it's really true, you know, healthy people only come from healthy soil. You know, well, and, and the packaging that you use for your for your products back. at retail, it definitely does what you're talking about as far as catching attention, as far as being educational and, afford, and informative. Um, so it's it's transparency that you're building to a certain extent. Uh, I, I'm curious. So you, let's say you're filling up a semi with, I don't know, your cranberry beans or your black beans or whatever. What are the steps that that, commodity has to go through before it goes from that semi that you're filling from the combine to the hands of the mom that's buying that one pound retail package on a grocery store shelf? What kind of journey does that product have to go through? Well, that that semi um, is literally a million burritos, right? Of black beans. <laughs> so... Uh, we, uh, we, we start by swathing the dry beans um, and then they desiccate slightly. So that way we don't use glyphosate, right? Glyphosate has contaminated much of the food supply. And in conventional dry beans, they'll desiccate using that product. And now we're finding it in the food system everywhere. So mm. we're organic, so we don't do that. So we use the old school of the swather. Uh, it cuts the beans and the occasional weed that's out there as well. And <laughs> that depends a little bit on Mother Nature and our ability to cultivate and our GPS tractors and all of that go hand in hand to make this whole system work, as well as maybe a weed zapper to run over the top. But um, so then uh, we will come back through and uh, pick up that swath in a day or two after it's dried a little bit. Beans uh, don't like to go through with green juicy weeds because they stain. So the weed juice gets on the seed coat and the end consumer doesn't like to see green spots on their navy beans, sure. on their white navy beans or great northern. So that's why that process is done. Uh, we'll combine them very slowly. Speed is damage on the inside of a combine. So We'll, we'll do everything we can to not split them uh, because people want a, want a perfect product. From there, 
will usually ventilate in either that uh, wagon um, or grain cart or semi and will ventilate immediately. Uh, so it's not uncommon for us to have a five horsepower Honda generator sitting underneath the semi running with ventilators going. Um, so we'll make sure to condition that moisture uh, if it's not ideal. And then uh, from there, uh, we can either go into a bin uh, and hold for the cleaner, or we can go directly to a cleaner. Um, so we have used a couple of out-of-state cleaners because there isn't anybody really certified yet in the state of Wisconsin. Okay. Although Rooster Milling's getting very close uh, to being able to do everything that needs to do to clean a dry bean. Um, you know, it goes through a de-stoner uh, to get rid of the stones. And then it goes into a, a fanning mill, a four screen, five screen fanning mill. Uh, you know, uh, the coarse screen takes the pods out and lets the beans fall through. Then uh, the fine screens, you know, keep the beans on top and let the weeds and the dirt and other things uh, go through. Um, then it may go through other processes too. You know, there's indent cylinders that, that can pick small pieces out as pick oddball sizes out. But one of the most important things, uh, that it goes through is a gravity deck separator and that okay. further, um, changes the nutrient density, right? So we want the heaviest seeds, the most nutrient dense seeds. Uh, if there was uh, a bean that didn't quite finish, we don't want that in the end product. So the gravity deck table is usually the one able to separate that off by pure density. Uh, then wow. from there, one of the most important things that, uh, that it goes through is a color separator, okay. color sorter. And that's kind of a slow, painful process. It depends on the number of channels, but um, as these beans are zipping through, there's a photo eye in a computer-aided technology that uh, decides what the limits are and which things are unacceptable. Then there's a blast of air that will blast that foreign object out of the end product. Uh, from there, it typically goes into a mini bulk bag, uh, 2,200 pounds or or 25 pounds, um, but usually 2,200. And okay. it comes back to us and go, goes into a warehouse. And then uh, that's monitored throughout the year, uh, that warehouse uh, for product condition. And uh, um, then uh, that, you know, has a long barcode on it for identity preservation, tells us yet the field that it came from, the date, uh, who hauled it, who cleaned it, all of that information is preserved on that mini bulk bag uh, for intelligence, for identity preservation. And then uh, we'll bring it back uh, to our internal bagging line and literally uh, bag off those beans either in a one pound bag, a five pound bag, or a 25 pound bag. We haven't got anybody yet that's uh, bought 2,200 pounds bulk, but <laughs> I think that day is maybe may coming. Um, so uh, it's interesting. We've had a lot of people very interested in 25 pound bags of beans. And now and then we'll, we'll get on Google Earth, right? And get the address and 
and look at where, where, who bought these beans, where are they going? You know, and here it's a, here it's a high rise apartment complex in, in New York. Right. Wow. And that's where our beans are going in a 25 bag. So it's kind of amazing um, seeing all this happen. But of course, then there's a huge variety of channels to market these products. And, and we're, we're, you know, some days I, I feel like the life vest isn't quite big enough, right? Um, uh, to keep, keep us afloat of all the different channels and the marketing and, you know, the big box stores, the, the Amazons of the world and everything in between. And, and you, you know, our own website, right? You can also buy directly from us at doodlefarms.com. So there's just a variety of uh, ways to market this product. And, and each one of them have, uh, you know, pros and cons. So we're, uh, we're just so excited to be working with Food Finance Institute on the fast track of really understanding how all these different channel mechanisms work and where do we need to be. It's really exciting to hear about uh, all of the different like steps and all the different transparency that you're able to maintain and like the level of information that the consumer is going to have when it gets onto the retail shelf. I mean, it it's almost goes without saying that this is a far cry from opening the, the bottom of the hopper and letting the soybeans fall into a pit and enter the commodity stream. I mean, that's that's as much complexity as sometimes that chain has, at least from the uh, the field to the the buyer, so to speak. Um, but in this one, yeah, uh, you're, you're obviously doing a lot getting... more. <laughs> yeah, and it's certainly getting more more complex as we go. So, you know, when we get to the milling side, you know, the grains, then we're going to test for aflutoxin, VOM and DOM. And, you know, we have a standard of less than 1% of those things, or it's not saleable, right? Because it's partially toxic. So those things are important as well, um, you know, and we're also testing now uh, for glyphosate free. Um, and wow. putting those things on a product that's not required by the organic standard, but it's where ultimately the food system and uh, an enhanced organic standard needs to go. Um, so we need to make sure, you know, when our kids eat organic Cheerios, that there's not any chemical contaminants in there. Got it. So okay. I think that's really, really critical. And and, you know, we need to make sure that we've minimized that as much as possible. The organic standard does a great job of, of getting that, but, but it's, a, it's a systems approach. It's a process approach. It doesn't guarantee the product to be free. So the right. next level is doing the actual testing and then determining where it's at. Um, so, so that's something that that we're adding and to give those moms across America some peace of mind. Uh, not only are we testing for that, but we're also testing for heavy metals. So uh, that goes part and parcel, um, you know, with glyphosate as well. So um, sure. we want to make sure that we are selling the cleanest food supply possible is our goal at Doodle Farms Organics. So, it, so you it's unfortunately getting about more complicated. 
Yeah, well, yes, and you already mentioned that the the you must enjoy the complexity at least a little bit, like solving the problems, because otherwise you wouldn't be at this, right? <laughs> um, but you began talking about like I sort can of humbly the... say no. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> okay, well, you're yeah, you're able I'm, you're I'm able to sell it. Uh, you're 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 able to stomach the yes, complexity. Right. No, no, it's it, it's it's a great challenge and it's a great opportunity. And also, you know, when you know at the end of the day that somebody's health is in your hands, is pretty humbling. Sure. So I think I think unfortunately, through the process of big food and big ag the farmer has lost the connection with the end consumer. Mm. And that's tragic because in so many ways, only the farmer can fix the problems that are at hand in this industry. So that's why I guess I see such a future in, in going all the way to the end user, right? Because we want all that knowledge of what the end user wants and we need to bring it all the way back to our fields our farms on every single square foot of what we produce. And it's, and, and it's not only nutrient density, it's not only lack of, you know, chemicals and things. It, it's, it's things as simple as, do you provide habitat for birds and bees? Rare and endangered and threatened, uh, you know, pollinators. Do you, do you do something on your farm that positively impacts those things? Because without bees, none of us are going to be here. So, you know, they're asking for a lot of environmental services. So it's, it's way beyond just the organic seal, you know, it, and it's, you know, it, now we're talking about carbon. We're talking about pollinators. We're talking about groundwater. We're talking about surface water being clean. We're talking about air, right? And and what are what are you doing for me to ensure that you know my kids and my kids' kids are are going to have this earth to inhabit it? So I think that uh, when you get when you get to the end user, you get all that wealth of information of what they're concerned about. Uh, so speaking they, of that, of, of your children's are. children, speaking of your of your children's children and your commitment to the the earth and the environment and all of that. So in or certified organic is not the only certification that you carry, correct? I believe you're you're inspected by MOSA and you carry the USDA certified organic label and everything like that. But you have a, a, a second third party certification as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, we're involved uh, in the Real Organic Project, and we're also uh, partway through the application process of the regenerative agriculture through Rodale Institute. Um, okay. So those are uh, some of the seals uh, that we have. We're also uh, part of Yahara Pride, which is a farmer-led watershed group. It starts uh, north of Madison and comes all the way through our area of uh, protecting surface water, groundwater, certainly nitrogen and phosphorus. So all of those things, you know, that 
drive healthy lakes and healthy systems. Um, so uh, we're we're part of all of those, and we're striving striving to do a better job each year. And you know, nutrient density is a big one too. So we want to produce um, a more nutrient dense crop every single year. We want mm. to stack on top of each other. Sustainability is dead. Sustainability is where we're at today. These used to be prairie soils of eight to 10% organic matter. And mm -hmm. now we're farming two to 3% organic matter. There's nothing we want to sustain about that. We have to regenerate our organic matter. We have to pull more of the carbon out of the air and put it into the ground. Uh, just the, the, you know, I don't believe that you can get nutrient dense food when you're constantly killing all the living organisms. So when we talk about biodynamic, that becomes a big portion. Uh, I truly believe if you feed the microbes, and by the way, there's 2 trillion microbes in a spoonful of soil, right? 2 trillion. If you make them happy, we don't have to worry about our crops, right? So feed the microbes, make sure they never have a bad day, and we will in turn always be well fed. I think that the metaphor I've heard from soil scientists, uh, Jerry Hatfield over at Iowa State when he was there, used to talk about two African elephants worth of, of it, by weight, worth of microbes in every acre of healthy soil. <laughs> so he would always talk about feeding his elephants, like, just like what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and we've done way too much sterilization. You know, when you eat a carrot, uh, eating some of the microbes around that carrot as part of the soil, we're finding out now has benefits to the flora and fauna in for your gut bacteria, right? Mm. It'll actually help you digest and help you get more nutrients out of that. So we we've we've went a little too far, and certainly you know COVID too has made us all more aware. But um, we don't we don't want to irradiate our food, right? Uh, that's really a dangerous path. We need to go the other way. Um, and have all the beneficials there instead. So I, I think we're all coming to the same point. Uh, and I don't care if you're a conventional farmer or if you're an organic farmer, there is some middle ground that we're all sharing and, and are much more educated about today. Um, and I think that's, that's a great way forward, right? Um, yeah. Together. So, uh, and I think regenerative ag is going to help that happen because uh, there's a lot of conventional farmers that realize what they're doing. One isn't sustainable, isn't going to protect their grandchildren, right? And, and is very costly, you know, for, for what, you know, I mean, 20, 30 years ago, we were, we had to feed, feed the starving people in Africa. Well, has that changed today? We have more than enough food. Do we still have that problem? So I think uh, it remains to be seen whether or not we were just duped by by uh, big ag, big chemical and big ag and and all of that, um, you know, and uh, you know to get our pride and get us to produce fence row to fence row for this cheap food policy. But 
you know, I think everybody real can can appreciate that maybe that isn't the best way forward, right? And maybe we gotcha. need to eat on the outside of the grocery store, and maybe not eat the six thousand additional SKUs that are created by just three <laughs> components: corn, soybeans, and wheat, and uh, that 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 might be killing us. So I think all those things are are worth uh, looking at and getting the research and and uh, getting the word out, right? Um, so I think we have a, a regenerative way forward and regenerative human health is really the goal. Yep. And so I'm excited. Yep. Let's, uh, let's talk, you, you mentioned the grocery store again, and you started talking about your, your marketing picture. Your, your marketing picture is just about as complex as your production picture, right? You've got You've got some beautiful, informative retail packaging. You've got the e-commerce website that you mentioned. Um, how are those working? And what other retail channels are you currently trialing or exploring? Well, thank you uh, about the uh, positive comments about our packaging. Lucy, my yeah. wife, um, and the graphic artist that we work with, Jen, has just done a fabulous job of creating our packaging and the branding and the imaging for our company. And uh, that's, that's been really fun. Um, and that's allowed us to easily step into with Lucy's knowledge about big box store uh, retail um, has allowed us to step into, um, you know, these different market channels. And uh, so far we're at um, Amazon uh, we're at also natural food stores um, of all kinds. And certainly we have our website um, that we're really selling off of. But, uh, you know, as we produce, you know, 700,000 pounds of popcorn, we're all of a sudden in Walmart um, and some other big box stores, uh, Kroger's and whatnot. Uh, we all have... Um, uh, we've hired um, professionals that work in that arena um, to help us uh, really get through all of the barriers to selling in a big box store. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's important. Um, and, you know, it's important to vet these people. We've had, you know, some difficult experiences out of the gate. Uh, you know, with our with our first uh, contractor that was doing Amazon, and mm -hmm. then picked up another contractor, and they're just shooting it out of the park. So okay. um, it's uh, you have to find the right team, and that takes some time. Um, and you have to find the team that also understands in intimately your product and your belief system and what you're trying to portray. And I wish, I really wish that I would have learned about Food Finance Institute prior to us getting our first uh, value-added producer grant mm. um, because I really lost a lot of time and burned up a lot of money chasing some incorrect things. So um, just uh, take the time, uh, study it up front, uh, go through a crash course um, at Food Finance Institute, uh, really, really 
goes a long way in understanding the marketing channels, the complexity, and what a farmer, you know, has to do. You know, it's right. a great opportunity, but it is a ton of work. It's a ton of knowledge and and ultimately it's about connections too. Um, you know, I, I certainly wish we could we could sell everything locally, right? And I could sell it all at a farmer's market. But at the scale we're at, that's just not realistic. So we are stepping into some of the other channels. And, uh, you know, we, we are, are learning the hard way sometimes, but we also do contracts with, you know, uh, dry bean vendors. Uh, we do contracts with people that mill wheat. And so we'll use some of those things as a ingredient uh, safety valve, you know, for the farm. So if we need cash flow, we can uh, liquidate our ingredients into those markets. And by ingredients, what I really mean is those are cleaned, clean product in tote bags or ready to go to a mill or something like that. Going um, into so a, a food manufacturing not, process. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of it has been cleaned up and cleaned out. It's not been run or combine run, right, material. So we've gotcha. taken it to the next next level. Um, and I think that's all part of it. But uh, certainly having some offtake agreements, you know, um, as a safety valve for cash flow is important, extremely important to our banker. Um, you know, <laughs> as we increase our percentage of sales through these channels that we've been talking about because that that doesn't happen overnight that's the you know um one of the many things i've been taught um you know uh through food finance institute uh through brad specifically is you know this is a three to a four year play a market you mean the going and to retail so component of it? Yeah, so it's not tomorrow. It's not a month from now. You're laying out the strategy for three or four years down the road to achieve volume and profitability in your food program. And he said it's not unreasonable at all in your first year to not be profitable in your food program. Uh -huh. uh, obviously, we're trying to be as profitable we can in all segments, um, but uh, uh, that was a rude awakening for me um, because I didn't think number one it'd be that much time. Um, but uh, and I and and certainly things are very competitive. You know, some of these country companies have been doing this for a hundred years, right? So what what makes you different and special in front of the consumer that they should buy your product versus what they've been doing for 100 years? So it, it can it can ultimately be a very competitive place. But uh, I think when we right first product, started working right together, message, when we first started working together, I, I you showed me your. Uh, your I'm a bit of a, well, like a lot of people who work in finance, I'm a bit of a spreadsheet nerd, right? And I remember this spreadsheet that you sent to me via email that just had this massive, you know, production and marketing plan and very, very aggressive about what proportion of your production you were going to be able to move into the food channels, the food and retail channels versus the 
uh, the wholesale and wholesale ingredient channels. I, I think you were, I, I can't remember, somewhere between 50 and 80% in the first year. And what I, the, your previous comments were saying, that's, that's probably not going to ring true in the first year or two? Flip it the other way. So okay. 20% would be a really lofty goal. Um, you know, with the scale that we're talking about and stepping into it at that point. So, yeah, um, having the reality of Brad, who is teaching our class, and he's, uh, by the way, uh, helping us add all the hard data to that master spreadsheet, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're rolling up all the different market channels into a summary, right? And then what does it take from a bank to turn all that um, ingredients into a finished product, right? And uh, the, the co-packers, the third-party logistics, you know, warehouses, warehousers, and then commissions and ad, ad spend in different areas, all, you know, are way more than what met my eye early on. So, um, yeah, we, we have certainly a tab for every single one of those channels and multiple tabs per channel at times. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so it's, uh, it's, and it's really fun, but it's really complex, right? And then having the right business platforms um, to meet the accounting needs and whatnot of what you're trying to do and certainly to meet the organic standards, you know, and to even go through a food recall, God forbid, right? Right. Um, you know, are very important components of your plan. And, and you know, I mean, Lucy and I joke all of the time, you know, if, if Lucy hadn't been involved, I would have offered our product in a brown paper lunch bag, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, and she, she's like, oh, no. We're not doing that. So, and, and you can see, you know, where, where we ended up. So certainly she was right about the branding and messaging and how, how important that is and sealed in a bag, you know, and tamper proof and all of that that goes into uh, safe food. So uh, it's been a really, really exciting and a lot of fun. Um, okay. but, you know, every day it's an, it's a new challenge, a new opportunity, and it takes a lot of time. You know, so well, give yourself time the and time. Money. Let, it, let it evolve. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I, I actually yeah. want to steer our, our conversation a little bit into the, the dollars and cents side of things. After all, we are always trying to find actionable insights in, in food finance for our, our listenership and our client base and everything like that. So one of the assumptions that I hear uh, that's sort of a popular perception I hear it pretty regularly, and I, I'm, I'm interested about your comments on it. Some people assume that the transition from conventional commodity production to organic production is automatically going to improve their bottom line. Some might even consider it a way to sort of, quote unquote, save your farm if the financial picture is troublesome. What do you think about that perception? Well, uh, if you do everything right, it uh, can be valid, um, but you also have to get through three years or 36 months to transition. 
Yeah. Okay. And those are very important times in how you do it, what you produce. Um, so I wouldn't overlook that. Um, if you're in a cash flow uh, poor status, I don't know that I would transition your entire farm. I'd bite it off in small little pieces mm -hmm. and uh, get, you know, get um, aware, make your, make yourself know what you don't know. Right. And do that on a small basis. So I would transition a 40 acre field at a time and then go forward and look at the rotation, look at everything and slowly, slowly build it up. Um, to take the whole thing there, um, is very difficult. And on the food side, um, you know, has some huge marketing challenges, right? Um, as soon as you go to multiple crops. Um, so I guess I would, I would urge people to take their time, plan it out, go through the FFI class before, you know, and, and that's a good class regardless if, if you're taking product to food or not. I think every farmer would have an eye-opening awareness of, of what is the middleman actually doing and what mm. are they doing for you and what are they not doing and, and what percentage of it goes where. Uh, so I think, you know, for us to think, well, geez, you know, our popcorn, I can get a contract for 60 cents a pound and I see it in the store selling for five to $6 a pound or for two pounds, whatever. Um, and to assume that all of that is in the greed of the middleman is an incorrect assumption. Okay. So, you know, there's cleaning, there's warehousing, there's branding, there's co-packing, you know, uh, all of those parts. There's food recall. There's, there's all of these things. There's testing. All of these things that go into it that you don't see behind the scenes other than that sticker shock at the grocery store, right? Yeah. So I think uh, a farmer needs to understand um, what that is. And that, uh, you know, if you can make 10% on a food program, 15%, um, that might be enough to make your banker happy. But um, to th unless you have the ability to do every one of those steps yourself, most, a lot of that food value-added product money doesn't end up in your pocket, right? Right. right. And, uh, you know, far farmers are, are used to, you know, signing the front side of the check, but really the goal is to sign the back part of the check as much as you can. And, you know, a lot of times farmers will say there's more money farming farmers than there is farming. And that, <laughs> that is... That is the ag perception, right, from the ag world. But uh, when you start wearing all the hats and the boots in the food world, you realize that there's really a lot of steps and there's a lot of cost, right, in, in bringing that product uh, conveniently for a consumer to purchase or click on and buy and have delivered or go pick up in a store. So, um, 
you know, and it's, it's fun being on both sides of it because, you know, I have to remind my Amazon um, team that I produce a crop once a year. You know, they're expecting sales every day. Right. I produce a crop once a year. And when that's available again, the following year, we can bring it online. And so unfortunately, we are so spoiled in this country to just having everything on demand 365 days a year and really don't have much compassion for the farmer realizing that their payday is, is once a year. And if, you know, whether they have a good crop or a bad crop, it only comes once a year. So uh, I think that's, I think, you know, it's, it's fun educating the, the teams that I work with, right. On, because they really don't understand what, what the problems are on the farming side. Right. And yeah. I certainly didn't, didn't see everything that was on the value added food side. Right. And so when we look at, uh, you know, challenges in, in shipping and we look at four week delays across whole industries of deliveries of things, you know, um, it, it, it puts some major shockwaves through our infrastructure and uh, that's really problematic. And, you know, people don't realize how big a deal that is for a farmer, because if you miss your planting window, it's over. Right. So, you know, we don't have a four week, well, we'll get it to you in four to six weeks, right? That, that isn't going to work. Um, so uh, that part's been really good to just, just understanding both sides of this, but uh, really adds, a, a, you know, the complexity and sometimes sleepless nights, right, on, on how to do all this, right? So, so in, in addition to uh, initiating this very large and diversified uh, production system on your farm and a, a large and diversified marketing system, from your farm, you've also in the in the multiple steps that you've taken to get everything on sure footing. You've you've refinanced your farm uh, financial package with a, a brand new lender recently. And I was wondering if you talk a little bit more about finding a financial services provider that was a really great fit for some what some might consider sort of an unconventional farm operation. What did they do to earn your business? That's a really great question. And, you know, I got to start with the conventional ag uh, financial um, uh, information. I mean, farmers are, I believe now, less than 2% of the population. Yeah. So we're a very small group. Yeah, the dollars might be very large, but we're a very small group. And then on top of that, now we're talking about a small little segment called organic, which is within that 2%. Um, so now we've really gotten it quite small and quite specific. Mm -hmm. And so ag lending has even become more critical about the understanding of, of what it takes to transition three years without any prohibited pesticides and go through that to even get an organic certified crop. Mm -hmm. So your financial people that understand what's at hand 
and the best way to play that and work with it uh, really become quite few in the financial industry of ag finances, which is already a small percentage. So um, we aligned ourselves with uh, uh, some some pretty, uh, what turned out to be very well known, um, a bank and and also um, uh, the bank is Flanagan State Bank and uh, out of uh, Illinois. And um, particular, there's a couple individuals there, but one coming to the top, uh, the cream wise rises to the top is Richard Ritter. <laughs> and um, he is taken really a vested interest um, in organics and uh, even pulls all of his growers for their financial data data to show how organics is doing, you know, compared to conventional and even with it in organics, what's, what's doing well, what's not. Um, and really has taken the time to understand it and bring it to, you know, his, his board. Uh, of people at the bank, right? Everybody reports to somebody. So you still have to sell, you know, um, the package and and sell it to the board. So he's done a great job of of helping people understand the data. Um, He should be on a speaking circuit, which he is, and (laughs) helping people understand what it takes um, and what's required and what's needed from a banker. So he has that understanding. So we thought it was critical that we align ourselves with the bank like that uh, in terms of operating and equipment and some of those things. Then uh, we took our land um, assets as well and um, are working with a company called Iroquois Valley. Uh, they have a our, our REIT, REIT, um, trust that uh, is aligned with the mission of an organic farmer um, and uh, have some favorable rates and, and other things. But now you have the operation side, you have the land side, right, that are, that are speaking the same organic language. Mm. Um, and that's critical that we're speaking the same language. And then if you can align those things, then there's some additional companies too. Mad Ag, or, Mad Ag comes to mind uh, that have financing for organic uh, and food systems and other things. And, you know, so all of that makes your team. And, um, and the, the better the team understands what you're actually doing, uh, the potentially the more successful you can become. So they understand uh, organic farming and what it takes and, and land and values. And, and they also see the potential uh, in organic. They're consumers of organic. So I think that's all important that you're aligned with the team that, that largely thinks the same way. Um, so I think that's very, very important uh, that you find those people, you know, in your industry. And then, of course, we also go further than that, um, which is, you know, when you're doing a value-added product to the end consumer, okay, um, is that same bank um, and your financial people you're working with, 
going to understand, um, you know, CPG and, and, and taking products to the end user and right. what all that takes and what the timeline is. So, I mean, now we're really getting down to a small group of people, right. That even have the knowledge of, of what that means, uh, in the organic, uh, food world, right. And bringing that organic seal to the end user. Um, so I guess, um, it, it makes it, uh, you have some ease when you're able to talk the same language. Uh, they understand, they understand the mission and the goal. Um, and, um, you know, you're just not such an odd duck, right? Uh, if you try, try to have that discussion with, you know, uh, even an agriculture bank, um, you know, they uh, have their trouble, have problems getting their hands around it. And matter of fact, you know, many of them have, you know, gotten to the point where they have to hire a specialist, right? Because they don't really, aren't able to understand it locally and will bring in a specialist to put their arms around the project. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, um, I think the industry is is getting better, but uh, certainly um, there's many that are the cream of the crop that are already there. Um, so financially, we decided to uh, align ourselves with the vision that we have for our farm and uh, our products and value-added products and the consumer. And so we went with those people that, that understood, um, you know, and could help us with our vision. So you're getting the right kind of financial people on the bus. You also mentioned that you took advantage of the value added producer grant a, a couple of years ago. Any other kind of hints or tricks or channels or anything like that, that you'd like other farmers, other farm listeners uh, like yourself, uh, who are trying to grow in this direction to to know about that they could avail themselves of or on the flip side of that coin any major landmines that you'd like to have other people avoid boy um yeah i i certainly wouldn't do what we did right um, <laughs> so we uh, we uh you know transitioned all 1800 acres you know after the 40 and then came into you know three difficult years of extremely wet, wet weather, um, you know, after the transition. So, you know, um, having that capital reserve is, is king, you know, like many say cash is king. Um, so that, that's very important. And then how do you know what you don't know? Um, so, you know, one year we added a weed burner, um, the, you know, after, the rotary hoe and the drag no longer work because it never stopped raining. Right. We, we, we went to Minnesota and, and got some flame torches from a guy that builds them for a living and, and uh, put together our own burner over a weekend. Right. That was uh, painful, right. To, to go through. And then the following year after that, we added a weed zapper, right. So anything that got above your crop height, could be electrocuted um, and killed. So uh, we added that. Um, well, you know, those those 17, 18, and 19 were some of the wettest years on record for us. And when you're an organic farmer, um, that becomes very difficult when you 
rely on some tillage for your weed control and every rain that you get every other day starts a new flush of weeds. So right. you have to be ready to combat that with labor, money, and industry knowledge. And that industry knowledge might exist, might not exist locally in your area. So I think, you know, um, things like Rodale Institute that teach people, um, the idea of farm network out of Illinois is another great one. O'Grain out of Wisconsin is great. Even Flanagan State Bank now is bringing farming, farmer meetings, right? And getting involved in that. Um, and I think if you really also want to take it to the next level, uh, do yourself a big favor and uh, become a Food Finance Institute student before you ever uh, start going down the road of value added. I, I wish that I would have had your class that you offer prior to even writing our grant, right? So um, that all of those things would have helped uh, write a better grant, um, get more, uh, put a really fine, fine point on that pencil, you know, and uh, utilize that money and resources very strategically. Um, I think all those things uh, make a well-oiled machine. Um, so, but uh, those are some of the changes that that I would make, um, you know, in looking at uh, organic value-added food proposition. Um, okay. You know, the, the transition, you're right. The amount of knowledge just to transition successfully in organic is difficult. Uh, entering a whole new industry of food it has its own challenges, right? So, I mean, I think it can be done and I think it needs to be done, uh, but it's not for the faint of heart. Um, so you're going to have opportunities and challenges every day. Um, and uh, that can be very rewarding, but it's also very taxing too. You bet. You bet. Well, we, we appreciate the kind words for sure, Mark. That uh, is really nice of you to say. I, I Okay, so that's... That's the look back machine right now. I want you to, as we, we kind of have to tie things up here, we're nearing the end of our time. Um, now I want you to kind of peer into the crystal ball a little bit, right? Uh, so you mentioned that even organic ag has potential challenges for the future. And I, I'm, I'd like you to look into the crystal ball about the future of Doodla Farms Organics specifically. Um, See the business continuing on as it is for another generation, uh, staying in the family, not staying in the family. And kind of the big question is, do you think that the, the complexity and the diversity that you've added for all of the good reasons that you've stated over the course of this hour, do you think that makes it more or less attractive for the next generation? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, uh, I am the fifth generation on this farm. My son, Jason, and Emily, my daughter, uh, will potentially be the sixth generation. So as we look to this um, and our crystal ball, um, you know, Jason, my son, has gotten more engaged every single year 
in the production and the food business side and the marketing side and has taken on certain tasks. So he's already um, has skin in the game and understands uh, what needs to happen. But I think we both realize that it's a tremendous amount of work. And uh, I guess when we look forward, um, we would like to pay some of it back. So when we look at Doodla Farms Organics, uh, we want to hold more field days. We want to have more education. Um, My daughter is also uh, uh, becoming a naturopathic doctor um, uh, from uh, National University in Lombard, Illinois. And so we're actually looking at um, uh, the next chapter is uh, a wellness center on some land that uh, we were able to procure um, beautiful setting amongst, you know, 550 acres of DNR wetland in the background. And we're looking at uh, having a wellness center that my daughter would anchor there uh, we're looking at, you know, eventually living there too on site. Um, and then we want the educational center, you know, this might be a series of barns or courtyards and whatnot of a little bit of conductivity, um, but in a beautiful setting. And then we want that education. We want to bring in kids groups and things to educate on food production and, you know, the do's and don'ts and, and health, you know, what are the things we have to pay attention for? What are the things in the past we have to learn from um, and to not repeat? And so we'd really like to give back to the community, um, you know, that way and, uh, and further educate um, and be that kind of a resource, um, you know. Uh, so we look, we look towards doing those things um, plus, we'd like it to be some fun too, right? It'd be nice to have an organic beer around uh, a fire <laughs> stone oven uh, on a Friday night, you know, cooking the basil that you applied to your own organic pizza, right? Um, you know, uh, cooking in the oven uh, right right ahead of you on some some hickory hickory wood. So, you know, I guess we we look at that sense of community and how can we give back and, and how can we share our knowledge and share our family tragedy, right? How, how do we turn that around, right? From, from being a victim of cancer to being the victim of health. So I guess we want to change the story in agriculture. And I think we have a great story to tell. And I think we have a fabulous future. And I do think we can combat climate change and and grow healthier, more satisfying, tasty food that's nutrient-dense and safe. I, I think we can change all of the negative health trajectories that we're seeing, whether it be, you know, heart disease, autism cancer, whatever, I think we can change that. And I think uh, we have enough of the science behind us 
that we know we are aligned uh, in a positive direction. And I, I really think it is that simple, simple, you know, he- healthy soil, healthy food, healthy people, and God knows we need a healthy planet, right? There's enough death and destruction for, for eternity. So it's up to us to change it. And I really think that's our mission and that's our goal. And that's a, that's our crystal goal. So crystal ball. So, you know, my definition of a farmer has changed. It used to be, I was proud and beat my hands on the chest that I was feeding the world. Uh, now my definition is certainly nutrient dense, safe food for everyone. And so um, my paradigm has completely shifted through this process uh, for the better. I can't think of any more sort of optimistic closing words than those, Mark. Um, I wanted to express my appreciation for what it is that you and your family do in your farm, not too far from where I am right now. Um, and the time that you've taken us uh, with us today uh, to express some of your beliefs and some of what the, the history of your farm has looked like and the, and the future uh, as well. We, uh, we really appreciate having you with us. Um, and we hope that our listeners got something valuable about the, the prospect of uh, larger scale, organic, diversified production into transparent, health-oriented marketplaces. This is a really uh, interesting area. It is a competitive area and there's a lot to learn. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and experiences, Mark. Thank you. And thanks for Food Finance Institute making this possible. Uh, without it, I'm not sure where we'd be in our food program. So uh, you are one of the missing links. <laughs> thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha and the Food Finance Institute by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org. 